So I have things to talk about because I just started doing, um, so I'm actually really happy because I discovered the, the daily reminder uh, checklist part of your phone. And I've been trying to stay organized with that because as you know, with work, uh, I've been, been getting a few more responsibilities and I have to balance that with, uh, with some other side projects. But on the part of the side projects of growing a YouTube channel, I've now the past two days in a row have had at least one video copyright claimed by a label and blocked, which always drives me crazy because for one, it makes no, <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense for one, because these labels are just shooting themselves in the foot because I'm not copywriting their material. It is very clearly fair use. I just don't feel like disputing it because I could lose my channel. It's a pain. It's, it's, a, it's a pain. And it's like, if, if they want to copyright claim it, they could make money off of it. They just do copyright claim and claim monetization. They put ads on my video and all the views I get, they make money from. So they're not only handicapping the growth of their artists, they're not making money. Instead, they're just blocking my content. I, I don't understand labels. And for that matter, I don't understand large corporate structures that seem to own entertainment, specifically entertainment designed in the creative arts, like a music, like writing a book. I think that it's only getting in the way of creativity. It's Freaking frustrating, um, and and it's ultimately it makes no business sense. It's like you have this opportunity to not just gain exposure for your artists. I'm talking specifically music now. You have this opportunity to not only gain exposure for your artists, you have an opportunity to make another revenue stream by getting these reaction channels. Some of them, the biggest one, No Life Shack, having over two million subscribers, which is more than a lot of record labels can promise to their artists, and they're still blocking it. I don't understand it. I think corporations have absolutely no purpose in advancing the arts, only capitalizing it, cannibalizing it, and ultimately handicapping it. What are your thoughts on it? Well, they're capitalizing it if they let this happen anyway, because they're going to make money off the thing anyway. So, but it makes no sense because they're not making oh, money no. off of it. They could very easily just let my video play and make. Oh money no, off that's of what it. I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, if they want to capitalize on something, why not let these people do it and take a cut? You're not doing anything. Somebody else is putting in all the effort, and you're getting super passive revenue off of it. You just press claim. Um, that's it. Do you remember? Or you have an algorithm. People were getting tattoos of brand labels for advertising and they were getting paid for it. I don't remember it, but. Oh, I remember that. People would get like Pepsi tattoos and stuff like that on themselves and like then they get paid. Oh, I I remember that. As a billboard. They were like living billboards. Yeah, uh, Dave, that, I'm pretty sure the they, Simpsons they, did an episode of that one time too. Dave from Canada got that skater uh, logo tattooed oh on my his God. arm before getting Red dragon. by them. Yeah. Red Dragon. That yeah, of, co- of course I remember that. No, uh, there, there, were, there was like a fighter, I think, who had a Pepsi tattoo on him, uh, which at the very least, I got to say, at least it makes sense with fighters because they're shirtless all the time. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't necessarily understand someone whose who's day-to-day involves them wearing a, a button-down shirt getting a tattoo for a label. I want to get a big Fanta label tattooed on my or, chest. Or, or like a snowboarder. I don't understand like a snowboarder getting a tattoo of a label because they, they're, they're going downhill in a, in a jacket. Well, maybe they're going to walk around too. afterwards without a shirt on. Um, right? Yeah, on, they just on the wear mountain. the jacket. Yeah, and they'll just walk around after, no, right? I, f- I feel like the prerequisites for actually succeeding in business is to fail business school because what they do makes absolutely no sense. I swear. They just drop this money on things because I, I don't even know. Like, I always live by the idea of you can't fly unless you wing it. But it's like they're not winging it. They're just stepping off a cliff. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why, lar- why it's like the larger the business, the smaller the brain. Maybe it's bureaucracy. the T-Rex syndrome. Maybe bureaucracy. it's the T-Rex syndrome. Yeah, bureaucracy always gets in the way. Um, what are your experiences with bureaucracy? I'm sure you have some stories to share on that. 
Oh, it's a pain. I mean, such a pain. You know, obviously, my background being a nonprofit in higher ed—that's just all red tape. And I'll never forget because I did AmeriCorps Vista after I graduated uh, my undergrad in Boston, and there was so much red tape to get anything done to the point where specific example, which was crazy, we were getting our business cards made and it was for the year, you know, it was being done through the school. They were printing it. Cause I, I was the director of community service at uh, Framingham state university, which was pretty cool. And my office though, that I worked out of was the development office and uh, the card spelled development with an extra E development and somehow it got through where like nobody in the there were like six people in the office and they had like a big printing department nobody caught the thing and in order to get it changed it took like two weeks to get the thing changed back and it had to go through like paperwork and submitting like claims like this was a mistake and blah 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 and i remember eventually we we actually didn't ever get it replaced and I just had those misspelled cards. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, what do you think it's like that they just feel like because it has to go through so many hands, they can be lazy with it because someone else will catch it? Maybe. I mean, there's fail saves in place that people put in there, but fail saves are never really truly fail a save. fail save. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, going back to the snowboarding analogy you had earlier, when you're skiing or snowboarding on a mountain, right, you're going up the chairlift and there's that net at the end of the chairlift to catch people if they fall off early. I thought it was to catch like poles and skis more than anything. Oh, maybe that's what it is and I'm crazy. But to me, I always thought, what's the point of that? It's like, if, if somebody falls off at that exact moment, okay. But what about the rest of it? It's like, yeah, I guess it's a little bit of safety net, but. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I think it's because like when you're, when you're getting off the chairlift and like if you actually like tip your ski forward, there's a good chance that it could just like snap off. Ah. Unless you're like a pro and you have it, whatever it is cranked up all the way so the jaws of life couldn't rip it off. No, I just think that, I mean, ultimately to tie this all back to business, because this is a business podcast, yes. there really is something to say about how these layers of bureaucracy, which are ultimately meant to create, quote, fa- I mean, what, fair or efficient methods, ultimately get in the way. And it really comes down to proper delegation and, and agility in order to advance a business um, while maintaining the mission. Like when I'm thinking about, for example, going back to this record label, I'm assuming I, I know they didn't just pay or even just have some intern said so like for, for one, my video got blocked before it was even uh, public. So, <laughs> so you know that it's, it's an auto claim before, if it's blocked before it's even public, you know, it's an auto claim because, because there's no way someone could access that video with it. The algorithm had to click and it had to say, okay, someone is using our material copyright claim it. Um, I don't understand the point of it. I don't understand. Like they're, they're, they're clearly trying to protect themselves from pirated music, but here's the thing. It's all streaming. Like most yeah. people, Spotify is free. Most people are going to listen to that song for free anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to get paid through Spotify. Uh, it, it, ultimately, I, I, see, I, I see it as these layers that are meant to protect the business only getting in the way. And the best way to do it is, is through deliberate action, through tr- proper delegation. Ultimately, I think business is inherently human. It's artificial. No other species does it. And we have to protecting big business. That's the differentiator because once you get to that big spot, you're talking about nimbleness. You you can't be nimble when you're a Goliath. 
there's a lot of stuff that has to change. If you want to, I mean, it's like, you know, the butterfly effect. If something happens over here at one of your mat, tiny little offices off, you know, nowhere, it's going to impact your bottom line at the big one. Do you and think the there's a place business, for Goliath? I think, I think there's a place for Goliaths. I mean, because I, I think there's always going to be Goliaths. I don't think we're ever going to be in a situation where there's not a Goliath. It's just, you know, good Goliaths. The Jolly Green Giant versus fee fi fo I'm going to eat your bones, right? Yeah, well, and then, the, what was it? Big, big friendly giant, too, from, from Roald Dahl. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the BFG, distract- yeah. which is a kid, you're always thinking of uh, Duke Nukem. You remember Metal Giant? Yeah, it was uh, Vin Diesel. Oh, he was, he was the Metal Giant? Yeah, the, um, the robot, right? The Disney one yeah. from all those years ago? Yeah, the animated we're talking one about like Disney, the- is this going to get shut down? No, no. I mean, because we're not, we're not, we're not playing any music. We're not. I mean, oh. the worst thing that could happen is, in our recording, somehow <laughs> they would hack my computer. See, you have Adventure Time as your background, and, and oh, yeah. Cartoon Network would come after us. Man, good thing we're not uh, doing the video on this. So why Adventure Time? Why that background? I, I dig oh, it. Oh, I, I love I like Adventure the color. Time. I mean, Adventure Time is just such a great show. And I mean, the background here, obviously, we're dealing with the. Uh, treehouse finn and jake's treehouse which at one point was marceline's in the future we see it up super high when um well my god what's his name lemon lemon king hero no not lemon grab it was i i haven't seen adventure time we could edit this down obviously but um Nah, oh. we're keeping it raw. We're, we're, All we're, right, no. we'll keep it raw. Uh, uh, as, as long as you don't like awkwardly pause for anything longer than three seconds, I'm keeping it. Oh, sick money. Steph hates when I say that. Eliza loves it. Well, well Eliza loves everything. Yeah, it's just a random two-word coupling that came to me one day because it was ridiculous. So, Fair yeah, enough. I mean, here's a question for you. Why do you, at 33, love Adventure Time so much? When it's clearly like it's it's not clearly made for kids. I don't know who it's made for. Interesting fact about Adventure Time, which could be completely wrong, but <laughs> I'm kidding. No, seriously though, because the voice of Finn, I mean, he grew up and they kept the character growing up along with him for the show. And when you're dealing with stuff like that, it's really interesting because you're growing up with him. Now at the time of Adventure Time coming out, I mean I was older obviously but you know i mean these cartoons always target different demographics because there's different things in there but besides being a nerd at my core it was just a really great fantasy sci-fi depth world building show i mean simon for f's sake keeping it you know pg here um he was amazing. The Ice King, spoiler alert, you know, 10 years later for people that might not have seen it yet. I haven't. <laughs> it, it's deep, though. I mean, and what was a one-off character of this psychotic, ice-wielding king who kidnapped Princess becomes like, oh, my goodness, there is huge depth here that goes back to the early days. And it's just, it's wonky. It's crazy. The ending is so satisfying. And then... Bemo's Adventure 2, which is on HBO Max. It, it's really pretty cool. at and kind of like a pay us for it's these like plugs, a Cartoon Network and, and HBO. Right. Um, AT&T, if you're listening, we'll, we'll accept that check. Um, no, Don't worry. We won't go after you like your buddy John Oliver does. <laughs> Business daddy. <laughs> um, 
I do want to touch on Adventure Time, though, because I think you raised an interesting point, and this can also be applied to businesses as well. I'm, I'm always going to tie our, our threads back to business as best as I can. Everything ties to business. Everything ties to business, because as I said before, business is so human. Um, you mentioned depth and, and world building. You mentioned how it started, how it grew um, without, without drifting. Um, and I do think that comes from, de- rather than, so you have these businesses out there that are trying to grow by either acquiring other businesses, which can work, but it's also incredibly dangerous. You, you go into a substantial amount of debt and you're relying heavily on the means of this new business to, to ultimately feed your business, to feed your company. Or rather than going wide or trying to grow by looking out there and seeing all the new ideas and bringing them into your business, you can go deep. You can dive deeper into your mission. You can explore the terrain. You, you can essentially go into the quantum of your of your, of your mission um, and, and explore all of the different atoms and particles of why people are coming to you in the first place and expand upon those rather than and going adaptability out and adaptability rather than adventure going out time. What didn't start the way that it ended up? I mean, adventure time was a fun a fantasy jump. show, right? It, but it started off as okay. The first episode. What do we have? We have Princess Bubblegum, who's literally a princess made of bubblegum. Yeah, and a, a sleepover, kid a slumber party. in a magic hat, and a slumber party with candy zombies. And then what did it evolve to? The end Post-apocalypse. of the world. Post-apocalyptic, yeah. sci-fi, fantasy mix, and then it goes even farther than that. But it was never off point because it fit within the world that was being built, so it wasn't jarring. You know, we see it in nonprofits too, which of course are businesses, um, and it's it's all about the adaptability without losing sight of our, you mentioned it earlier, the mission, because at its core, your business can do what you want it to do while still adapting and, you know, going after what the opportunity is. Cause when it comes to things like luck, luck is an opportunity that comes up that you're ready to take. I mean, that's what it boils down to. It's bad luck because, Oh, this opportunity came by, but we weren't ready. Well, if you have some idea of what you want to do when an opportunity comes up, and you are able to adapt and take that on, that's good luck because you made it happen. Absolutely. And I just, I think that you're touching, as far as your points on Adventure Time, you're right about it. It grows without being jarring. Everything was organic. Everything fit together. They were natural next steps. If it went from candy zombie, candy zombie sleepover to, what was it, nuclear fallout? Was that the end yeah. of the world? Yeah. If it went from that to nuclear fallout, there would be an issue. But it, 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 developed and i think that ultimately some people are looking at their businesses and and they they know based on social media posts they have to scale they know that they have to find that success fast they like they, they see these self-help gurus don't get me started on those already <laughs> yeah. they see these self-help gurus. by the way we have a brand new book that you can have right now it's how to be a gajillionaire overnight you can get it for free for just 10 payments um, of 9.99 yeah so as, as far as as, as far as growth out being jarring i mean i mean they see all of these new ideas coming up and they think, how can I fit that into my business? Instead of looking at their business and seeing what it can naturally progress into. Uh, look, at, look at what Amazon is right now, talking about, talking about Goliath. Selling and by, books. And by, yeah, exactly. Started off, I was going to say, and by no stretch of the imagination am I calling it a good Goliath, but I am saying it did naturally evolve. <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't that jarring. It, 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 that said, to our robot AI overlords who are listening to us, you know, we love you. And please yeah. add cinnamon toast that go waffles to my grocery shopping list. I mean, do you think that the end of the world is more likely going to be along the lines of us just being so 
I was going to matrix. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking danger. I was thinking Wally. I, w- I was thinking the hyper distraction ah. strapped in the chair um, and just being fed all of our needs. And when we don't have those desires anymore, we don't have a we we can't. Well, that's p- possible. But also, like if it's a pandemic, I forgot the movie. It was um, it was a Bruce Willis like futuristic RoboCop type thing, and basically people. Ha- no, not that one. This one is he was an, he was older at the time. This was semi recent history, and basically people didn't leave the house. You stayed in your house. You plugged into this pod, which was a VR, and you had a physical, like robotic avatar that you controlled from your VR out in the world. Okay, so it was almost and it's a pandemic right now, one, right? But it was Ki- kind it was of real yeah. World. But it was real world, and it's like it's a pandemic right now, right? So what are we seeing? I mean, it, we're seeing video game companies and AI, not AI, well, yes, AI, but um, like VR stuff, looking at being used for conferences because let's face it, we're doing Zoom conferences. I'm doing Zoom conferences with some organizations I'm involved with. And it's, it is what needs to be done right now with the short term that we've had to really figure stuff out for like generally everybody. But moving forward too, if this continues, are people really going to want to just sit and look at their computer screen for 12 hours a day? I mean, I know I'm exhausted after that, but if you're VR and you're plugged in and you're at a conference that, you know, you can mod. <laughs> so well, humans you're in a conference with adapted. a lightsaber that you're using to cut your lunch up. Hey, that's pretty cool. I would totally go to a conference like that. We're always adapting. I mean, you said it yourself, um, as far as you don't want to just sit in front of your computer all day. How have we already adapted the backgrounds that we have? So, so I, it's, it's not that big of a leap to think that the backgrounds will soon become the foregrounds or our overall surroundings. Um, it, and just as far as adaptability is concerned, yes, if this is the new normal, there is that question of elasticity of demand for certain products. Um, I mean, gasoline is not going to be as high demand so i i, I haven't example. filled up my car in like three months so your pre- i'm assuming your consumer preferences have changed we basically use one car i get my car out of the garage and drive it around the block to make sure it's the battery doesn't die yeah. right and um but it's like no i mean we have a park that we go to now by us because you know right now you need a place to go where there's not a lot of people and when there's a lot of people walking, not wearing masks close, I get anxiety stuff going on. I'm not going to lie. It's crazy out there right now. But there's a really nice park by the water with not a lot of people. So that's basically what we're driving. And we go there maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks, something like that. But that's it. You know, what are we spending money on? Toys for the kids and groceries. Yeah, preferences and some gaming stuff, right? I mean, but as the pandemic continues, these preferences will also continue to change and adapt. So like uh, people buying their first car right now, they're they're clearly going to go for their first car. CarMax. And and, and not just that, but the kind of car. Talk about good luck. They were ready. They were doing virtual car buying before it was really a thing. And all of a sudden now everything's virtual and contactless. So it's like they were ahead of the curve. Now, could anybody really have predicted that everything was going to be virtual right now? Just about? No. Um, we won't get into that. But things change and people are adapting. And we're going to be seeing more virtual stuff because 
it's not just the priorities, but what's been really fascinating is people's eyes have been opened for efficiencies with business with this because a lot of businesses are finding that they are being more efficient virtually than they were in the office and they've been able to cut expenses. A lot of schools too. A lot of schools too, which is really tough. When you're a brick and mortar place like that, that's really difficult, especially with the short time transition right now. But with businesses, those that have been able to keep all their people or ship things to rearrange priorities, like you said before with priorities, would you rather spend money on an office space or a person? And if you can have a really good person that is going to be virtual and you downsize because you're only going to be in the office, you know, a few times a week and not everybody's going to be in there at once regularly. I mean, that seems like kind of a slam dunk. That was a decision we made taking, yeah. taking the cheaper rent place so that we could make so that we could keep payroll as us. cheaper rent. Yes, but cooler. Okay, yeah, I, there there were other reasons, but my point was it was a priority to. We're find thinking about putting like a pinball machine and a old arcade game in there. So if anybody's listening and has any good recommendations for arcade games that are not collector edition things, let us know because I could go for some Pac Man. Yeah, Pac Man, Donkey Kong. Uh, oh God, the collector ones are so expensive. I saw a collector called Donkey Kong for three grand. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I found the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was always really great too. Oh, that was a fun game. Do you remember Super Nintendo? I I had such a... Okay, I remember Mega Man on Super Nintendo. My childhood memories, though, for video games primarily are Goldeneye, of course, on on N64. Duh. Uh, Pokemon Stadium. Yep. When we first got the PS2 and you stayed up all night playing Tekken Tag. Oh, my God, with Ed Ryder. That was awesome. We unlocked every single character overnight. The joys of being in high school. Yeah, priorities, man. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and then, uh, I mean, I, I obviously then remember the other systems, like, but cause I've always enjoyed video games, but as far as like the biggest memories are concerned, those, that's it. You, oh, Bomberman. Bomberman. Oh my God. I hated Bomberman because I could never figure out what the hell to do. It, it's it, like, it was a fun game though. On Super Nintendo. It was crazy. But of course, Super Mario 64 always takes the cake. I finally eventually got up to the top of the castle with Yoshi, but it was like, years after i had originally gotten the game and uh getting really good at the uh downhill sledding right the penguin level oh those were fun jump down the middle and then skip like the entire level because that was the only way to really beat the timer um but anyway getting back to the business side of things no i want to re- talk about games a little bit more because oh, i'm going to talk about that, games too i was gonna say i had one more that i wanted to bring up because i can't believe we forgot about it Zelda, of course, the two greatest N64 Oh my god, Ocarina of Time is... And and Majora's Mask. Oh, Majora's Mask. I'll never forget Majora's Mask. Years after the game came out, and I still have the Super Nintendo. It was N64. I I mean, yeah, the N64. I went and got a copy of it. I think actually it was like a blockbuster. And I got a copy of the game. Talk about a business that didn't adapt. And somehow, what was really amazing was it had every mask unlocked. And I didn't know what happened because I always thought that you needed the save cartridges in the controller. But this one, it was like on the game. I plugged, I put the cartridge in, I turned it on, I loaded a game, and every single mask was unlocked. And it was like, oh my God, this is the dream. This is the dream. You found the dream. Well, did you have it plugged into Game Shark? You know, 
Because remember Game Shark? Game Shark was the best. I remember Game Shark for uh, Game Boy. And I mean, talk about cheat codes. You just type that stuff in. And the best part of Game Shark, I remember, was Pokemon. I think that's why I got it initially, was for Pokemon, so that I could cheat that thing. Oh, I remember Pokemon. I remember it well because I, I, me being the great little brother I am, you got red, <laughs> I got blue, and you're like, yeah, so we can trade. Yeah, we can trade. I yeah, I took to it and I traded. The, I had to reset the game three times or, or twice <laughs> so that you could get both. You could get all three of the starting Pokemon, and I was like, yeah, it's oh, fine. I, I, I'm just happy to be playing a game with my big brother. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> that was fun. I mean, no, talk great. about adaptation, though. Video games have been adap- adapting for years. And looking at where they are now, you know, things are coming out on VR. And you're looking at games like Star Wars The Old Republic, which is the MMO that, you know, I, I actually played beta on that. I was original collector's edition pre-order because, I mean, God, Star Wars MMO, are you kidding me? And a lot of these games, which have seen a little bit of a decrease in their population but are still going, they're moving and they're porting the uh, – they're basically porting it over to Steam. So they're getting a whole new... So streaming and gaming... So it, well, it's not streaming, but it's on Steam. Yeah, Steam's not, necess- Steam's not streaming. Well, you, you pay you, a subscription you to that, right? Um, or do you I download through... Okay, I, you download. So you, you download it through the shop. I mean, there's places like Gamefly that are subscription services for games. Uh, but it's not like a streaming service where you 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 pay a you pay a monthly subscription that you get access to all of these games. Game Gamefly is, and then Microsoft also has one for Xbox that I actually tried, which that was pretty fun. It has all the Fable games and stuff like that. But the subscription model is really fascinating too because we're seeing everybody adapt to it. And with gaming, it makes a lot of sense because there's so many games and it's destroyed pirating too, which is oh, one of the good things for it. But let's also face it, who wants to pay $60 for a video game that you're going to beat in a weekend and then never touch again? Or play $60 for the new Madden game, which just uh, updated uh, the uh. roster, added a couple <laughs> new uniforms, and maybe updated the attributes as well. And the, car- and the players don't even look like they're real ones. Turn it down to like rookie difficulty and then just big passes the whole way, create your character that's like jacked up. Your quarterback who just runs 100 yards every play? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember you playing Madden growing up where you would, like, take sacks so that you could get – it would be, like, third and 50 um, at yeah. your one-yard line so that you could get your 99-yard run with your quarterback. Yeah, that's exactly what it was because it yeah. was just so much fun to just, like, beat everybody. And you get a couple safeties, but, you know, it's worth it because you end up winning, like, 105 to 3. Yeah, I, I always end up getting bored of, like, just dominating the opponent. Right? So it's like you can only do it for so long. You have to then add, add difficulty to it. But then when you start losing, it's just like, oh, my God, I hate this game. This is so stupid. Because then, like, if you turn up the difficulty and you literally cannot make a tackle. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't played Madden in a while because I just can't bring myself to buy those expensive games no. that have – I mean, talk about then – Let's let's talk about this in a business standpoint. Talk about the the dangers of a Goliath and a Monopoly. They have absolutely zero competition. So Madden is as a product is an incredibly lazy product. They do not add much to it. They they just they they just benefit from having absolutely zero competition um, for that product. It's the same thing right now that we're seeing with 2K. They have some competition, but not much. It's between uh, it's between 2K and NBA Live. Uh, the the only game that I feel like people don't complain about too much 
even though I still don't think people buy every year's version of it, is um, FIFA. And also UFC does well, but UFC doesn't put out a game every year. True. Like UFC is only well, on there, UFC there's 4. There's oversaturation I, I, on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but like I, I just got the new UFC because I haven't played since the first since the first one, and nice. I mean they've only had four. Yeah, man, I remember that first one that came out. Oh, it's fun. I know it's adapted. You can be like Bruce Lee in it now and stuff. They 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 do have some additional fighters. No, this one I don't think has Bruce Lee. I think that was UFC like two. Mortal Kombat, where you can be like the Terminator alien. They're really just getting crazy with that roster, well, but they're um, adapting. And people buy it. That's the thing. It's just people will buy the brand because well, they they've established. Because it's games are games are no longer that fringe culture. They are very pop. It's not just that it's not fringe, but it's they built trust that they will put out a good game for what they are. And if it's Mortal Kombat, it's gratuitous violence and a two and some story. I mean, good. good, good. Oh, there, there's a story mode for sure, and there's some 3D components to it, obviously. But, it, I mean, it's not like – I mean, it's not an RPG or anything like that. And then you have <laughs> games like you were talking about in the sports world, which people kind of know I'm probably not going to buy it because it's the exact same game. Or I'm going to buy it because I want the new roster. Yeah, and, I mean, ultimately, I do think the storytelling – I mean, video games, as far as entertainment is concerned, too, the, the, the classic games, like the great games that you hear people talking about through the ages – uh, like the iconic ones, they usually are heavily infused with like this incredible, compelling story. Um, I, I think of what it, what it, mm-hmm. like the la- the Last of Us one, like that that that's considered new age. Uh, the Witcher, which was oh such God, a people g- hate the new Last of Us. Yeah, that I knew, but uh, <laughs> but I know that people. But I also know people love the first one, and then I also know like The Witcher specifically. Yeah. The Witcher three, which many have. Oh my God! Except so many time. people have trouble finishing it because the game's like five thousand hours long. But the yes. story is amazing. The yeah. story is amazing. It's so amazing that it's got. I mean, well, it's so amazing because it's based on a book. That that's that's an already True. an interesting idea for one. The fact the fact that they ter- adapted a book into a video game uh, instead of adapting a video game into a movie. Well, they then adapted it into a show. <laughs> but yes. like, yeah, it, it it definitely was an interesting combination of thoughts and and essentially like they they built a really cool talk about a brand trust. They built a really solid fan base by naturally growing from t- taking that taking that strange route from a book to a video game and ca- and getting that audience from the book to trust the game and getting that new audience from the game to trust the book and then welcoming a whole new audience with a with a with a show adaptation when we talk about diving deep into the micro of why your product is successful and then unlocking that across multiple mediums instead of just trying to be the next big thing and take what you see out there and try and absorb it for yourself. The Witcher just grew so organically. And that's why it's such a legend, like an iconic sta- uh, standard of, of. And it's also a series. And that's yes. their hook too. Because I remember, and this was like a lot of people, when people found out about The Witcher 3 and they you know, played that game, or, you know, before it was coming out and people were thinking, oh, my God, this is cool. Because like the Dragon Age games where each game directly connects to the last, where you can actually upload your save progress to the next game to shape the world. And that was amazing. So what did people then do? People that never heard of The Witcher went out, bought The Witcher 2, 
so that they could play it and make the world how they wanted to. Now, of course, there's a very short cutscene in The Witcher 3 when you're talking to, um, you know, one of the kings, whatever the heck he's called, and you're just picking answers, so you're shaping the world there. You can also do that, and there's no big deal. But the point is, it was a great game, and it was really cool to see how things turned out, and people get hooked. No, I, I hear you. I mean... And then like, we talk about the other ones too. So people also like the control your own. Uh, why do you think people like those control your own world or control your own destiny or control your own fate games? Because I'm thinking off the top of my head, like the Oblivions in the Skyrims. I'm thinking of oh, the yeah. Fables. Now you're saying the Witcher. Um, more so than a Grand Theft Auto, which uh, obviously you can control the world, but there's no longstanding um, changes. The Fable was so iconic. I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, the whole morality things. And I think the thing that's really the hook there is that you're dealing with impactful decision-making. You know, role-playing games are, I mean, it's escapism. You are jumping into a role in a different world, in a different person, and you are going through this story. And the way it has been, it was for a long time, was it was linear, right? I mean, it, it was also the technology. It was a platformer game. So you're going through, you're Super Mario, what are you doing? You're saving the princess. That's it. Yes. You got to be Bowser. You got to save the princess. That's a role-playing game, technically, because you are role-playing as Mario to save her. Then you're dealing with things like Fable, where instead of just saving the princess, oh, I can save this princess, or I can leave her in the cage for the slavers and make money off of it. It's almost it's like, like oh, <laughs> we want to be storytellers ourselves, and and I guess like the great storytellers are able to help and the great storytellers are able to offer that adaptability where we can turn these stories into our own and offer that flexibility yeah and it it's just that's what's kind of fun i mean when you're dealing with things too like choose your own adventure books right why are those so popular well those are popular with a different audience well yes because those are those are popular with kids where these choose your own adventures are more popular with uh with adults or 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 older kids well, and then you're dealing with something like Dishonored 2. I mean, Dishonored 1 was really cool the way that they were dealing with choice and the stealth versus killing everybody. So it was either going to be a really chaotic ending if you weren't stealth and you just butchered the whole city because that's throwing it into chaos, or you were stealthy, you never killed anybody, you were never seen, and you just fixed it all and it's a happy ending. And then the second one took it even farther, and it's okay, we have two options. We can either be corvo or we can be his daughter and it's two completely different play styles it is a final choice you can't switch later in the game you can replay it but it's you know you get to be who you want and play how you want i got one for you that i i remember and i never actually really made it all the way through mass effect Mm-hmm. because i feel like that was one that your decisions carried over through multiple games as well right it carried over the whole way and then it really came down to in the second one how lazy you were because really, if you wanted the best ending, you just had to make sure that you got every one of your crew members' affection up like all the way, uh, which just involved doing all of their side missions. So it was how much time you willing to sink into this game. But what really was cool about that is you really shaped what happened there. If you were killing somebody, if you were letting them free and they were going to come back later. I mean, a game like uh, Shadow of Mordor, 
or Shadow of War from Lord of the Rings. I saw they had a sequel to that too, which caught my attention. Yeah, Shadow of War. It's pretty fun. No, Sha- oh, it, yeah, so, so Shadow of yeah, War is the sequel to Shadow that's of the War. Second one. Got it. And it's the Nemesis system. So it's like if you kill an orc captain, he might die or he might come back later and he survived it and now he's your nemesis and now he's got better stuff, but he came back. Likewise, if you get killed by one of the orcs, when you come back, they've raised in rank because they killed you. So, you know, choices all are, are all over the place, and it's just adding more of those, you know, NPC choices in there, non-playable characters for those that aren't down with the terminology, um, actually having a choice and how it's evolving behind the scenes outside of just you, where it's a set program. And I think that that is an interesting point to sort of tie it all back together with an end on i'm curious you obviously have a net now you're you're a father too so it's not like you have much time for them but you obviously love games and you have a chance to what is it that you when you're thinking about this through love about games and what are some lessons that we can actually learn through i guess create the creation of our own services and products for to, to sell to others in 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 business that we can learn from games well, what's really interesting, because I'm actually back playing World of Warcraft since Shadowlands is coming Talk out Talk about soon. brand recognition, too. Brand we, recognition. We, we could do a whole episode on, on, on how World of Warcraft has created this incredible product. And the thing about World of Warcraft, and we always hear, you know, this game's the next WoW killer. And, I mean, honestly, there are MMOs out there that do a better job than Warcraft. Star Wars The Old Republic arguably has the greatest storyline out of any MMO. Why? It's a fully voiced cast for everything. It has that impactful decision-making that we talked about before. You have companions that you can influence. You can you know, have them get away from you. You can romantically engage them. You can have them become nemesis. And it's changing this world how you want to do it. Is it a better game than World of Warcraft for endgame stuff? No, it's not. That's always been slam dunk. But what's another game that's been great? Guild Wars 2, which when that first came out, that was huge. And it's still huge right now. But the thing about Warcraft, what's really interesting is it's been unique. It's never updated. Elder Scrolls Online has beautiful graphics. When you're looking at the character models and the scenery, it's unbelievable. World of Warcraft is a cartoon. And it embraces it. So I like love, South Park. I love being a demon hunter with wings that I can glide on, but I'm also flying on a magic glowing blue moose, right? It's just fun, and it's escapism. But so it's like it McDonald's. Back, you, you know exactly what you're getting every single time. It's consistent, and you still get addicted to it. Well, each expansion, yeah. Battle for Azeroth was a little... I skipped this one a little bit. I'm going back now to catch up on stuff for the new one, but yeah. Anyway, what's really interesting though about like MMO specifically, because there was a great episode of South Park, which if anybody is a nerd out there in any way, shape or form, they have probably seen or heard of, excuse me, huh, the World of Warcraft episode of South Park. Of course, and it who hasn't? Great, right? This could be the end of the world. Dad. Of Warcraft. I am socializing with my friends. I'm on TeamSpeak right now, go about to go into a dungeon. And it's like, you know what? The thing is, especially in a pandemic, when you're not able to go and be social with people, this is actually social. 
I mean, I remember like meeting people virtually online, of course, but you know, when I was in guilds and stuff, it's making connections. And when you're dealing with things like business, those guild masters out there who create their own guilds, like especially the top rating guilds or the world first people, they're running a business. They have people under them. They are thinking tactically. They're thinking strategically. They're talking about who's going where, and they are running it efficiently. And if they're not running it efficiently, people get pissed, and you get a Leroy Jenkins style thing happening. Leroy Jenkins. Yes, very, very throwback. Necro that thread a bit, but it really is interesting because there is relevance to it and it's not just on the development side because you get a lot of people now who get excited about computer programming right or graphic design because they see these amazing models in these games and it's like oh my goodness how do i do this but it's also we now have professional esports and people make and it's huge so it's, much it's money. huge so much it's money so much money you can't, but not people just also get scholarships damn it i want to also say this too it's not just professional sports people are also getting scholarships yes. for this oh academia knows there's money to be made there and the whole thing about esports what's really fascinating is it is now something that people can actually look for as a career and they can make a living off of it now just like anything they have to be good at it and what it comes to, or entertaining. And that's what's really interesting too, is the, the whole thing with streaming and Twitch. You know, I, I get it. I personally prefer to play the games myself, but I get it. And I do, like on YouTube, for example, I will go to some of these streamers for guides and for advice on what's going on because they actually know what they're talking about. It's like a more and interactive IGN walkthrough. That's exactly right. And there are so many opportunities right now to make money in something like gaming, which was unheard of, you know, not too long ago. And it's just the evolution of society, the evolution of business, and just what people are interested in. And especially right now, again, with this pandemic, when we are so separated, this is a way when we can interact still. So I think that that is a very interesting point to end on. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone here enjoyed episode. I'm going to call it episode zero since this is where we're still finding our, our footing. We really do appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, this, come back soon. This is the Follow the Hummingbird podcast. I'm Ari Goldfarb. I'm Adam Goldfarb. You guys stay safe. Take care.